0: Hello and welcome to the How to Exit Podcast. Today I'm here with Will Sachs. He is the founder of Fulcrum Venture Accelerator. Welcome to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Ron. Great to be here. Cool. So you're a little bit different from our other guests most of the time because you play in the realms of venture capital, raising funds and stuff. But I hunted around for a little bit and looked for somebody who had a system of process for that because I want to look at the parallels between the worlds. So tell us how you got into venture capital. It looks like you created a company and sold it. So we can talk about that a little bit. Well, let's just start off with a little bit of the origin story. How did you end up where you're at right now? And then we'll go into like the meaty details of raising money and how that works.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess it all started in college when I I decided that I hated going to my engineering classes and I met a bunch of other guys that also hated going to their classes. And we decided to build this solar powered race car and race it across the United States from Chicago to Los Angeles and in the American solar challenge. And we needed to raise something like $600,000 in order to get the panels and the titanium and the carbon fiber and everything we needed to build the car. And somebody had to do it. And so I just got on the phones and started calling local businesses and asking them if they wanted to sponsor our team and give us money or materials to build this thing. And so We ended up building it. We raced it. We came in eighth place, which was great for us. We didn't have any major sponsors backing us. And that was my first experience of seeing, wow, like any idea I have, I can go out and enroll other people in the idea and then make it happen. Very
0: empowering, Uh, isn't it? Super empowering,
1: yeah. No matter how big the idea, there's people that that can bankroll it. And then I learned about venture capital years later, and I wanted to be a venture-funded CEO. I wanted to go take something that I really believed in, get people who had almost unlimited resources to, to back it and build a company. And so I did that and that was Kandara, a women's health platform that's still operating today. We sold it in 2018. And then after Kandara, I, I saw so many other entrepreneurs who had good businesses, but they didn't know how to raise money. And so the businesses would die. And for your audience, it's actually, this is a great opportunity. A lot of these businesses where the founder can't raise money, have a solid plan. They have product market fit, they have revenue, but because of the dynamics of the market or just how they've been orienting towards raising money, if they don't raise money, they typically die. Uh, And so that's, that's why we started Fulcrum because I really believe that if founders have this skill, then it's a key skill to build a high growth tech startup. And also a key skill to raise money for any kind of project and founders who have this skill have so much more, so many more options and so much more possibility in front of them than founders who don't have this skill. And so we teach founders this strange science and art of fundraising. And we've helped founders raise over $50 million now for projects in all different industries. And yeah, I feel like we're just getting started.
0: It's interesting. I have a little bit of background in there just for you. I'm sure people on the show have heard this already. I actually was in Silicon Valley for years before I moved away and came, I came back. I'm down in, in the northern part of the area. I worked at the startups. I went with other team members when we were raising capital. We're In the pitch rooms as one of the tech guys to answer tech questions if the investors were so tech inclined. Rarely did they actually have questions for me. They brought me in, and then, like, a lot of times they, it was like you, you were just in the room in case somebody asked a question that the, the CEO and the other guys didn't. If they asked it a nerdy question, I was there for the nerdy questions, right? Then I tried it myself. I created an online dating site that I, I don't really want to talk about too much because I failed miserably, but <laughs> I try to keep people honest in their profiles. It was called Honesty First. But we got featured. We got a little story in the Wall Street Journal. We got featured on TechCrunch. We got some other like clout. But we couldn't get that. It was a chicken and egg problem. We couldn't get adoption, product market fit. So I ran out of my own money. Ran out of a couple of investors' money I brought. Was trying to go out and pitch, and it's just after eHarmony had raised like a hundred plus million dollars, and all the VCs I went like, we're not going to help you compete with those guys. To kind of cut this short, they kept telling me like, you don't have a business or you have a product. You should license your technology to them. And we created technology to keep up people honest. After some life-changing events, I don't really want to chat about too much. I had a reset. Both my parents passed within 18 months and I kind of took some time off. And in that time, it absorbed what they'd said to me. So I tried to go back to those guys, the big guys. I can't say who, but one of the, one of the top three online dating sites entertained my conversation just to tell me like, hey, we already evaluated that nobody in our community wants to be kept honest in their profile. <laughs> That's why you can't get product market fit is they all say they want to do it, but nobody really wants to do it. A hell of a lesson to learn. But yeah, I've been in the VC rooms. I've been in the angel investor pitch rooms. I was qualified for a little while there. Probably still am if you look at all my hard assets, like real estate and stuff. But yeah, so let's talk about you. According to, I'm just going off what I'm reading on your profiles and on your website and stuff or on your Facebook or your LinkedIn profile. It looks like you systemize this. You have a process you can put people through. So what does it look like to raise capital? Because I think our audience can take your lessons learned, right? To raise capital, to acquire companies the same way that you do it to create them.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So we teach a five-step process and I believe any fundraiser, whatever you're raising money for follows these five stages. It's kind of like a natural mm-hmm. progression. And actually we use a metaphor from nature of farming. hmm So the five stages are tilling, planting, watering, harvesting, and closing. And if you know as a founder or as an entrepreneur raising money, it's crucial to know which of the five stages you're in because then you know what you should be doing. So tilling is the first stage and that's getting your mental preparation right. For example, do you believe with every essence of being that this is an exceptional opportunity and that anybody would be a fool not to invest in it? And if the answer is no, you know, why, where's the gap and how can you learn more, get more people involved, find more influence or power or connections or whatever to make this like a slam dunk in your own mind? Because essentially fundraising is a transfer of excitement and certainty. So if you have full, full certainty, that's going to be the currency that you're going to trade to somebody in exchange for their investment. So that's tilling. And then planting is getting all your external preparation right, which is like your slides, your storytelling, your lists of investors and who's going to be the right people. And just like fortifying yourself with everything you're going to need to go out into the raise. So that's tilling and planting. And then watering, the third stage is about finding your lead investor or your anchor investor. So the person that's going to come in and take a third of the round or more, uh, or a third of the acquisition price, if you're talking about buying a business, like who's going to be the whale in the deal? You can still Mm -hmm. keep finding the smaller fish and lining them up and getting them warm but in watering you want to find that person who's going to take a big chunk and that's going to provide the momentum for you to move into harvesting which is where you're rounding out the rest of the round and you're getting all the people that you got excited about and watering into the round and harvesting and then closing is your final stage when you're actually getting all the documents signed doing all that administrative stuff solving all those problems crossing t's dotting i's in order to get the money in the bank and each phase has its own specific tasks and skills and dynamics and so we take founders through that process and if you know which stage you're in you know what you need to be doing and if you're doing that eventually you'll get to the next stage and if you do all five stages you'll get to the finish line
0: it's interesting is i was absolutely confident in that you know i could make it work and one of the second lesson I learned inside of that is I wasn't asking for enough money. I was out raising money. My plan was not grandiose, or do you want to call it, well, big enough for a lot of the VCs, because I was just looking at, like I said, it's a chicken and egg problem inside of the online dating site. Nobody wants to be the first lonely soul in a city to be on an online dating site, and then <laughs> nobody wants to put their profile on one where there's nobody there, right? And I know how some of the other guys are doing it, but because I called, they were creating fake profiles. So a lot of these websites were created by, and I won't name the wow. names off, but I know for a fact that they were, I know the people that did it. <laughs> but that said, I couldn't do that. I just called my website, Honesty First. I could yeah, go. Right. Oh,
1: you see the headline, right? Honesty First dating site full of fake profiles. Exactly, like, right? So yeah. I couldn't
0: do it. I just couldn't pull myself to it. Not that I would, if it was called anything else, but I just like, I put myself in a corner where I couldn't, that said, I was going to build like San Francisco, New York first. I was going to target two cities, you know, big populated areas, and then build profiles for those. And, and, and E-Harmony just raised a hundred million dollars. So they're like, no. So it's the reason I bring that whole other thing back up is, is there a sweet spot where like, if you're not trying to raise X number of dollars, you're probably not going to get the number of attention. Yeah. I, I,
1: we would say that's part of the inner game, like the, the getting to certainty and having a really sound plan. Mm-hmm. And so... The fact of the matter is that there's as many different kinds of investors as there are investments. Like there's people that want to put $5,000 into an agricultural purchase, and then people that want to only put $100 plus million into high growth tech and like everything in between. So I think for any raise, you want to look at finding alignment between the people that you're talking to and the deal that you're presenting, because that's what's going to determine to a large degree, whether you're going to get a yes, or even like a first, a second, a third conversation. If the alignment's not there, it's not going anywhere, right? It's like dating site. If I'm on a dating site and I'm looking for women, any man who's trying to match with me is not going to get anywhere.
0: So uh, I get that uh, that brought up another lesson I learned inside of there is research who you're going to go pitch before you go there. Because People would accept my pitch. Like I flew over to Oklahoma. I thought I was going to move it. It's like, I'll move this tech company to Oklahoma. It's lower cost basis. It'd be a little hard because at the time the, the technology that I was writing the code and stuff in was top edge and Oklahoma was still like kind of using windows NT type of stuff. <laughs> they were behind the scene as far as pulling people out of school to write code for me. I, I was like, I'll figure that out. So I got two, there's only like four or five VCs at the time in Oklahoma. I got two of them to accept my pitch. I flew into town, spent the money to come in there. Hang out with the parents, of course, that was fun. But I uh, came into town <clears throat> and uh, made my pitch and like, hey, we wanted to hear your story. We liked your slide deck and stuff, but all we had invest in is restaurants and medical devices. I didn't look at like what they had been, it was on their website. They yeah. said, yes, so I flew there. So that making sure that there's a match, like do they invest in, uh, this goes with investment banks too, do they lend to, because uh, to, to people in your industry and to your category, a lot of these, if you really look at even like SBA lenders and stuff that are, Using SBA-backed loans, if you look at their loan portfolio, you'll realize they don't, they've never lent to a manufacturing company. You ring them one, they're going to not know what to look at, or they've never lented to a SaaS company. They don't know what to look at there. But if you go to one, that's what they do. They know what they're looking at. And it, it's kind of the market. I'm a marketing nerd by preview or by education, I guess you would say. Product market fit. You have a product of a business and you got to make sure it matches the market. Your investor is the market, right? Right. Like opportunity investor fit there you go same kind of like is this something they'd even invest in would this be in inside of their comfort zone right and
1: the check size is important too like if you're so if you're raising for like a seed round or a pre-seed round mm-hmm. if you're going to vcs and asking for fifty thousand dollar checks there's not a lot of those guys around there are a few yeah. same thing if you're going to angels and looking for a 500k check there's a few but Mostly angels will write you 25, 50s, and 100s, and VCs want to write bigger checks. And so you got to understand that and go to the right people that are going to write you the check size that you need. And I'm sure it's the same with acquiring a business.
0: It is, absolutely. So uh, let's talk about the rest of the skill set there. We're talking, now we know we got to find investors that are interested in and and can stroke the check with comfort. It's not a, like, in the real estate game, I used to say, never take scared money. Because yeah. I, I was really good at raising money for, it's a hard asset you're securing against, So it's a little bit easier to raise money. But you would have people that were like, yeah, I'll loan you the money to buy that house. And you realize it's 90% of their <laughs> retirement portfolio. Like, yeah. no, that's scared money because the second you have to, need needs a little extra time or something happens, they're scared, right? That's a too significant of a portion of their resources. So their comfort zone, and that, that would be on the angel investor side, I guess, in what we're talking about. But uh, can they stroke that check and not not be calling you every day and going, where's my money? There's a graph that that we have, which is like
1: on one axis, you have check size and on the other axis, you have pain in the ass factor, (laughs) (laughs) right? And so like you can guess what it looks like. The smaller the check, the bigger the pain in the ass, 100 percent. So, yeah, just something to be aware of.
0: In the real estate world, I'll share a short one with you. In the real estate world, I flew to some raising capital event. And uh, or they teach you how to be a private investor. I'm like, I'm going to go to this thing. We have some money to invest, but I'm going to, everybody in the room wants to has money to invest. They want to learn to be a private investor. I'm going to raise some money in the room before this three day event's over. I left with over 200K and commitments for houses we were lining up to buy. This is for real estate. And uh, a pair of Asian ladies, one I got to meet and her partner loaned us 180 on two houses. It was more later. But man, the day we closed this house, she wired us the money. We closed the house. The day we closed it, I get this call going, Hey, I'm in Tulsa at the airport. They're from Dallas. And I am like, You're where? Like, I'm in Tulsa Airport. I want to see my houses. What? What? Like, no, you're the bank. You're not your house. Like, so I had to go pick her up. Then she wanted to be asked to reimburse her for a flight. She paid like $700 for $800 for a last minute flight. But her investor lady, she was her girlfriend that was, you know, had the millions that wanted to get into real estate, wanted her to come look at these houses she just bought. Like, you just loaned money. We had to do this, but. Then she calls me and says, I'm sending my son out there for the summer. I'm paying for a, a room. Do you have a room for rent? I was like, No. And you're like, What are you doing sending him out here for? Oh, he's going to intern with you and learn what you guys do so we can bring it down here. I'm like, No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I paid those loans off as fast as I could and never borrowed from him again. She would call me on a regular Hey, we want to do some more houses. I was like, Yeah, we're good. So that was that, that pain in the, don't borrow money that's from scared money and don't borrow money from somebody who's just constantly going to be in your business, right? And raise a, your
1: minimum check size. Like it's, why do people take 5,000, 10,000, $25,000 checks when it, you could take 50, 100s, 200s? The dynamics of those relationships are totally different.
0: Yeah, And be honest, somebody who's willing to give you a $5,000 check, that money means more to them than somebody who's willing to give you a $500,000 check. By the time you can write a stroke of $500, $500, $500,000 check, either part of the business, meaning that you're sold and you're like showing up every day to go to work, or you're so geared towards investment and stuff. That's not going to kill you. It's not going to hurt you that bad. You you want your money back, but I've never seen anybody stroke a $500,000 check where if they don't, if that investment doesn't win, that they're catastrophically injured. Right. Financially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good thing to think about is like raise
0: your minimum and it'll change your life. So how do you guys, or how do you identify like in the tech world, it's kind of publicized, meaning there's angel investment forums, there's Santeal, there's like venture capital areas where you could almost go door to door and pitch, right? There's groups and stuff, but as far as identifying qualified or accredited investors, what is your process?
1: Yeah, well, the best introductions, like you can identify them easy. We have mm-hmm. lists of all, you can find lists on the internet of 10,000 venture capital funds or angel investors. And right. then you can use tools on the internet to get every to get all their email addresses, then you can blast them all with an email and it's not going to work very well because there's no relationship there. So the best way that we've found after years of doing this is just start talking to people in your network, start networking and work your way to people. And the downside is insanely time consuming, but the upside of it is that you establish relationships that potentially could last your entire life. And so you really just want to take a meeting with whoever is maybe in the world, in the ballpark. and Get them excited and transfer excitement and certainty, and then ask them who they know who you should talk to, and then meet with those people. And one meeting turns into two, those two turn into four, those four turn into eight, 16. Soon you're at a 100 meetings. And if you've done a 100 meetings, you probably have raised the money you need.
0: It's interesting, as I used to use that, uh, who do you know? But I would be asking somebody I thought had the money, like, hey, we're opening, like for the real estate world, that's how I raised the money. I'd show up and like, hey, I'm opening up another round. We're buying some more houses. We're looking for capital. Who do you know that would be interested in? And I'd give them the pitch, right? And they go, well, I, I'm probably interested. Okay, then well, let's talk. But yeah, it was more right. of an approach to it as a, who do you know? Uh, and Well, that's uh, a,
1: it's a classic. Like, if you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money.
0: <laughs> or even like, hey, I would want you to, I have a couple of, And if you guys are hearing this, I'm not picking on you at all. I have a couple of friends that were, we were involved in projects before. And I was like, I called them up and said, hey, let's put you on the team. Like, I don't know what you're working on right now, but I'm building a team. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. And they're like, well, I don't have time, but I have funds. I'll help you fund that. <laughs> what you just said, click like that kind of did that on accident. Yeah, Give like me 30 that. hours a week of your time, man. I've got this project I'm working on. Like, I don't have the time for it, but it's a great project. I got money. Like, right. oh, cool. cool. I, I could use money too. So
1: That's a good one. I like that.
0: <laughs> so, and it wasn't intentional. As I really wanted to, like, uh, there's only four of us. I wanted on the, the leadership team of this project and uh, I didn't have to have them. But the, the fun thing with that is, is like now. When they invest, do I have their committed attention? Man, if I have a problem, they're going to answer it. Right? So the knowledge I need and the expertise that they would have brought, they're going to give to me because they're financially involved in the business. It's win-win for them and me. They don't need the time, put the time in, but if I do need their sound advice on something, I've got it. Nothing gives you somebody's sound advice more than a check they stroke.
1: Totally. I mean, that's the great thing about raising money from smart people is mm-hmm. as soon as someone writes you a check, you can call them up the next day and be like, yo, I got this big problem. Like, help me solve it. And they're going to they're going to listen and probably help you.
0: Paid advisors yeah. in a, a different way. Yeah. Uh, well, I know we're part of the way through this process. We've talked about who do we talk to? What's like I know there's a transfer of enthusiasm. So what needs to be said with enthusiasm? What's the content that needs to be presented? Is it different for every investor? You got to kind of get inside of their head and know what they're looking for or
1: no i think it's pretty much the same it's your own enthusiasm and excitement about what it is you're doing and why you're doing it and so if you're just super passionate about the business like for your audience if you're buying a business and you've done your research and you're just super excited about the opportunity it's that authentic excitement about the opportunity or if you're building a company because you have some mission and that's what's driving you i think it's being excited about that and transferring that so whatever authentic because If you transmit authentic excitement, that's going to resonate with people who are authentically care about what you're doing and this for the same reasons that you do. And then that will produce alignment. And you want alignment because long-term, the alignment is what's going to make sure that everyone gets to the finish line and is happy.
0: There's a scary side of this too, and we'll talk about it. If you have passion and enthusiasm, you can tell a hell of a story. And you have yes. a vision in our previous work, a vision that you can get alignment on, right? You can get people enrolled into your vision. If you get that done, you don't really have to have a very good business. WeWork's an exact sample of it. That guy raised what billions? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Adam <laughs> Newman. And the crazy thing yeah, that's a crazy story. Everybody should go watch that WeWork mini series.
0: There's even a podcast that did a really good job on it too. There's a WeWork podcast that just like five or six, maybe seven episodes where they dive into it in deep on on a podcast version. And it's a great story to listen to when you're driving. And he walked away with, the the one thing that got me on that one is they paid him to leave. He walked away with a big check.
1: Yeah, and he was almost completely ruined. Like he almost got nothing. I've heard him tell the story, you can find it on the internet. And they ended up, he got a big payout. And he just raised earlier this year or late last year, a $350 million seed round from Andreessen Horowitz to build his next company.
0: <laughs> I worked for a little while for the SoftBank. One of the companies that I worked for was funded and founded by them. And earlier on, before they became this behemoth that they became, we had a thing called ISP channel that was a cable modem internet, and we could do satellite too, so we could get remote locations. Back then, the satellite dishes were huge. We could put a big satellite dish and fire up internet to places that didn't have it. And they funded that. And unfortunately, the market dried up. We were targeting small mom and pop cable operators and turned them into cable internet service providers. And the big guys bought them all up. So we went from having hundreds of potential customers to having like less than 100, like one or two, three here and there. So we had no roadmap to profitability. Interesting is they actually offered, I didn't turn, I turned it down at the time. Maybe it was a bad mistake, but they offered, we had a big data center and we we hosted a lot of websites that are on our thing. They asked me to turn it into an ISP and stay. It's like every, they were selling off everything else. Like, Hey, why don't we just leave the building why don't you stay here, turn this into an ISP and grow it. And I had had a job offer to go work at Excite, uh, excited at home at the time. I thought I'm going to go work help Excite grow. And I didn't know that they brought me over there cause they, they just seen me liquidate a bunch of stuff at this place and they had it in their mind. I think that they might have to go through the same thing. Cause within a year and a half of me being over there, we had to liquidate all the equipment because they were in bankruptcy. So. We got the enthusiasm, we got the story. What else is involved in this? We know who we're, like. I don't want to say the target, we know who our investor is, we're ready to go. We've got our enthusiasm, we got a story to tell them. What is the rest of the formula here?
1: Yeah, so we talk about the three-legged stool or the three major themes or three skills. Mm -hmm. The first is the inner game, which is the certainty and excitement. The second is the storytelling game, which is telling the story of the raise and the business and the opportunity and what's going to happen with the money once it gets invested. And then the last one is the investor game, which is just learning how to interact with investors and to bring everybody together around the table to get a deal done. And there's a lot of weird idiosyncrasies in that world, in that process, and, and they all take practice. And if you get really good at inner game the storytelling game and the investor game then you can apply the five-step process that we already went through and raise a round for whatever it is that you want to raise
0: then there's all the kind of kind of what semi-technical legal stuff that goes behind the scene too like private placement memorandums and cap tables and yeah and,
1: and all kinds of different terms and it's totally asynchronous because a lot of investors do that stuff every day and entrepreneurs or people buying companies do it only once in a while. You're showing up to a gunfight, bringing a knife to a gunfight. Uh, See the analogy to that one? And so, yeah, you got to learn that stuff and know know the things that'll bite you in the butt and learn how to navigate all the potential pitfalls and actually get the thing closed in a way that works for
0: you. Did we hit the third leg there? Because I think I might've jumped in right when you were finishing something.
1: Yeah. Well, the investor game is The thing there is that you want to get people excited before you're actually raising and you want to sign on your first mover or your lead or your anchor investor before you start telling people, Hey, I'm raising money. Cause when you say to somebody, I'm raising money for this. And a lot of times people will say, great, how much do you have so far? And if the answer is involved, right? Who else is involved? And if you're like, well, you're the first person I'm talking to Well, unless that person is, A potential lead and loves what you're doing and wants to be the first follower, they're going to say, okay, we'll come back when you got more people around the table.
0: A lot of people like to follow smart money and not, I think there's fewer people who want to be that guy, right? For sure.
1: And it's like a hundred geo, right? There's a hundred followers for every one leader. You find the leaders and you focus on getting them in first. And then once they're in, if you've been doing a good job of getting all the followers excited, they will just jump in.
0: What do you think is the qualification or the... Indication somebody might be a leader. they they've led on other rounds. I know that would be one. But what would you look for if I'm if you just you, know, you got introduced to an investor and you started going, how, is this guy a leader or a follower? How would you make that determination?
1: Yeah, well, in the venture or angel world, I just straight up ask them, like, do you yeah. lead rounds? In the acquisition world, I think it's looking at what they've done previously, what their check size is. If they're only writing 250k checks and you're buying a business for a million bucks, well, then you know that they're going to be a significant portion of your round and maybe that maybe they can be the lead or the anchor
0: okay any any red flags that's a good one any red flags you see certain behaviors of a investor or something you like okay run
1: yeah like when people are going outside the norm of the standards or the conventions of how things are done in a specific raise that's a red flag like it, it either shows you that somebody doesn't know what they're doing or they know what they're doing and they're trying to screw you or they've the other option is they've created a new better model, which warrants a serious look to see if that's the case. Like in the venture world, there's standards for most deals, and most deals will fall inside that bell curve. And if somebody is talking about a deal that's way out of the norm, I think it's often it's often a sign that they don't have the experience that you'd want them to have in order to partner with somebody.
0: Okay. I've asked you a few questions at this stage. Is there anything we're missing? Like, what should I have asked in this? <laughs> what are some key? Like, you better probably know this before you enter this world.
1: I think it's all like one thing to just hammer on again is it's all about relationships. And most investors will invest in lines, not dots. So, you're, every time you have a touch point with an investor, you're creating a line, right? You're creating yeah. dots. Each of those touch points is a dot, and then that those dots turn into a line. And if that line is sketchy and headed down people are unlikely to invest and if the line is kind of consistent and heading up, that increases the likelihood that someone's going to invest in your deal exponentially. So I've seen founders send monthly updates month after month, but not be raising money. And in the acquisition world, it could be the same thing. You're sending an update every month. These are the deals I'm looking at. I've evaluated this many deals. I'm thinking about doing this deal. Okay, we've done diligence. All right, we're ready to start looking for an anchor okay, we've now signed on an anchor, who else wants in? And if you've been sending those updates consistently, then it makes it easy for people to jump in because
0: there's trust
1: that's been established now.
0: services, tax advisory, and even fully outsourced accounting, Reconciled has got you covered. They help you make the best business decisions, keeping your end goal in mind. And the best part? Reconciled understands acquisitions as they have acquired three accounting firms in the past three years, and their founder, Michael Lee, mentors others in searching for acquisition, raising capital, or trying to aggressively scale. Reconciled invoices your clients, pays your bills, and delivers clear and accurate financial reports every month automatically. Ready to streamline your financials and prepare your business for the next big step? Visit Reconciled.com today and let them get your books in order. Reconciled, making bookkeeping a breeze. That's Reconciled.com. I like that. And I like the thought that came to my mind when you were saying that, that never let them see you sweat, right? You can send a hundred positive statements and you send one negative, like where you're really down on your luck for the day. Don't send that email. (laughs) <laughs> Wait till another day because that one one will run. You can build trust in. It takes a lifetime to build your trust and a second to run it. I think the same thing goes here. We have a young entrepreneur in Tulsa that I was looking at working with. I set money aside because I really liked what he was building. He was sending me updates. He's ready. He's like, okay, I'm going to need money at this particular stage. And then he had a rough spell and he started sending me stuff where like, oh, this isn't going to work. I think I messed up. And I was. I get on the phone with him help him. But when it kind of, kind of stroke that check, I was like. I'll just go buy another house. (laughs) This guy isn't as confident as he said he was. So I would say, be honest, be straightforward, but be cautious with sharing your down moments.
1: Yeah, you got to strike the right tone. You got to be real. You got to be truthful. You got to be hopeful, optimistic. You have to be centered. There's a very specific tone to strike in those emails and interactions. Adam Neumann had that nailed,
0: obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I'd ever invest in him or anything because, because of his my gut feel on what's going on there, but I might get him on the show sometime just to learn from him, right? Yeah, it's like, him. how the hell did you pull that off? <laughs> okay. So where are we at in the process now? We're out there, we're talking to people, we're starting to get nods. It's kind of a carryover from the real estate world where I take verbal uh, commitments. Like, I call it my shelf money. I kind of know who's committed to putting money in a deal. I yeah. build that shelf of like, okay, now I've got something i have invested in. I've got five people that said, yeah, I'll call them up. And depending on the size of the deal, I may only need one of them or I might need or four of them in the real estate world that becomes difficult because you can get in trouble real fast for pulling money putting more money on one deal than you have to do first mortgage second mortgage and stuff or you got to go out and do a private placement memorandum and actually create a security out of it that said some of these deals one or two people can do it right is the same thing here do you guys take verbal commitments is there some type of paperwork that's done the second they say yeah we're interested go get it for all along i know money's not wired right away there's a commitment process to this
1: yeah, it's very similar. You want to get people to commit verbally and then you want to have that lead or the anchor investor. Mm-hmm. You got to get them to convert, commit verbally and then agree on terms and then get them to get something signed. And then you go back to all your soft circled other folks and say, hey, we've got a lead. We've got terms. I'm ready to go. Ideally, I've got more interest than I have space in the round and we're going to close in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So does that timeline work for you?" Give people a little bit of FOMO and then get everybody to, I like the stroke, the check. I've never heard that before, but it reminds me of like a golf stroke or a tennis yeah.
0: stroke. Yeah. You get that little signature. They got to stroke their signature <sharp inhale> on that check. I've had people, wait. I call it waste my time yeah. in the real estate world, right? Like, yeah, they want yeah, yeah. to invest in me. And I'm like, I'm only buying houses. This is Tulsa, man. I'm buying houses for 70000 selling them for hundred and fifty. by the time we're done. And you find out they couldn't stroke a $70,000 check if they wanted to. Well, I they, had a
1: guy, and when we raised our seed round, and he, I was raising $3 million. And I had a guy commit to 800K of the round. And so then we had like three on the nose committed. So then I went to close. And he had an office down in Silicon Valley. I went down to Mountain View. I met with him a couple of times. And so I talked to him on the phone a number of times. And I called right. him up and I said, hey, we're ready to close. Did you get the docs and everything? And he said, yeah, yeah great. I'll send it on Friday. And then Friday comes and there's no wire, no docs. I follow back up. He said, oh, I just needed a little more time. I follow up with him a few days later. He's like, yeah, no, I just need a little more time. He's trying so to I'm...
0: retrade your investment. He's out there trying to raise money to invest in you.
1: Exactly. That's what was happening. And then another entrepreneur reached out to me randomly and said, hey, are you talking to so-and-so? And I was like, yes. I don't know how they found me actually, but I got on the phone with this other entrepreneur and they said, well, this guy did the same thing to us. And so then I had an $800,000 hole in my round. I told everybody else that we were closing, that we had the money, that it was a done deal. So then I had to go back to everybody else in closing and say, Hey, we're at 2.2 because of this guy and I'm going to figure it out, but I need your help. And who do (laughs) you know? (laughs) Essentially? yes. And we figured it out. we got it done, but it was a stressful couple of weeks because I was on a timeline based on what this guy had told me, and everything changed.
0: You know what though? I promise you that you built some rapport with those two other investors because they know you got it done, right? Now they've got a lot more belief in you there's a, It's the epic tale of the hero's journey. You have it. you know something cool's happened, catastrophe, you recover. it's every movie, every story follows a journey. You doing with that actually has them bought into that story of you. Next time you you raise money, as much as it sucked at a half one, it's probably a positive thing you pull on the other end because if you got to win with these guys, they're going to believe in you more than they, they would any other time. They've totally. seen what you how you behave in during the adversity. Totally. So. and
1: I had so many investors say like after kandara say like Hey, if you, let me know when you're doing your next
0: one. That's cool. That's cool. That's a good thing to. And I, I write those down. I keep those down. I actually have a little spreadsheet of who. Who said, hey, if you're ever working on something, let me know. I'm interested. Sometimes you can call that out on like, hey, last time we spoke, you were interested. Here's what we're doing right now. Like you, or anybody you know, be interested in this.
1: And it comes down to character, right? It's like it, when you find somebody who you believe has good character and is trustworthy and tells yeah. the truth and has the skills and capacity, you want to hold on to those. Everybody, all of us want to hold on to those people, I think, as relationships. And we're all in the process of improving our own character and growing.
0: I, I have a private investor for the real estate world who he's the guy I could call up at any given time. Like I used to tell all the closing companies around town, like, hey, if you got a deal that bust because somebody can't fund, call me. I can probably line up the money within minutes. And I'll just go, if it's a good deal, here's my numbers, here's my math. If it lines up, call me. I'll drive by the house and I'll come to the closing table. I'll be there within an hour. And I said that to everybody and it only happened like once or twice. Somebody yeah. called and go, hey, we got this deal bust. This family really needs to sell this house. The investor can't fund it. Are you really interested? And I was like, yeah, and I'd call him up. And one of my investors, I won't say his name one, he's a good friend of mine. He just wired the money straight into my account. He's like, oh, I'm at the bank anyway, hold on. And he's like 120K is all, but he's like, okay, you have it. And I was like, what? I haven't done any paperwork. I'm sitting here typing up the paperwork for you. We'll do <laughs> yeah. that later. Later, he told me, you're the only person I've ever wired money to without having the paperwork done. He's a private lender. I said, why? Well, he goes, because I know as long as your heart's beating in your chest, I'm getting my money back. Whether you make money, lose money or whatever, I'm getting my money back. And that's just the mentality you want these guys to have. You know, especially on asset-backed ones. Not everybody gets their money back <laughs> in, in venture capital. But for a lot of these business transactions where the business is making money and success, they need to have that belief in you and that belief in the companies that you're buying.
1: Yeah,
0: 100%. I didn't ask you before we started, where are you located? Are you still in Silicon Valley area or do you just come here when you need to raise capital? <laughs> no,
1: I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Actually, oh, yeah. I built Kindara, the women's health tech company in Boulder, Colorado, and then mm-hmm. moved here last year to
0: Nashville. That's cool. I've been through there a couple of times. Not that you would ever expect it, but I used to own a Harley. Kind of look like a guy that probably in should be on a head. Harley. The I wife see. won't let me get another one yet, but eventually I'll get another one. Yeah. So yeah. cool. So let's so jump back into the business of things. What does the closing look like for us? It's loan documents or shareholder agreements and stuff like that, depending on if you're giving them equity in the company and stuff. What does the closing look like when you get the wire? What does that look like for you guys as far as?
1: Yeah, there's two different vehicles that people use. So either a convertible note, also called the SAFE note, which stands for Simple Agreement for Future Equity. So convertible notes are essentially, it's essentially a a note that never gets repaid in most cases. The note just converts into equity later. Mm -hmm. And then there's actually selling shares to -hmm. investors, which would also be called a priced round. And so you've got your convertible note rounds and you've got your priced rounds. And typically companies We'll first ish convertible notes and raise on that instrument, and that's nice because you don't need a lot of lawyers involved. You don't need to do it all at the same time. You can raise from people asynchronously, so you can take 25k, 50k, 100k, 200k in on notes without a lot of fuss, without a lot of legal.
0: Is that the one that came came about through like Y Combinator or something? Like yeah, that?
1: Y Combinator invented the safe. Or they
0: have their the, docs and everything on their website. You can actually dig through it and look at their the structure of it and sample docs and stuff
1: yeah exactly so it makes it easy because it's you don't have to negotiate that stuff it's everyone can just agree on this safe and you sign it wire the money it's easy yeah and then the priced round is more difficult because you're actually selling shares you've got to restate your charter you've got to make securities filings with the regulators you are around the table at the at around the same time at the same day and get everybody to sign everything and actually issue the shares on one day or a number of days. And so that's, I say, that's like being at the park and you're trying to get 10 squirrels to eat out of your hand at the same time.
0: Doesn't sound very fun. I, I can know. already tell which one you prefer. Is a safe just more common now? It's,
1: if you're raising an early round of under a million dollars and you're not doing a safe, it's strange now because it's become so easy to raise on the safe. But if you're raising a round that's over $2 million, you're probably going to be doing a priced round. Mm. If it's over 5, you're definitely going to be doing a priced round. So, yeah, it's just more difficult. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is bring together a priced equity round for a high risk high risk. because everybody wants to wait, wait and see where the business is going to be in 3 months and 6 months. Everyone wants the free option. And you have to get everybody around the table at the same time and get everyone to agree and to sign. And so because it's so hard, most people fail at it. And if you want to succeed at it it, and you haven't done it before, find somebody who has done it and work with them to understand exactly how to do it because otherwise it could literally take you a couple of years to figure out.
0: I don't even like trying to coordinate meetings with four or five people. I hand them over to advice. (laughs) It's like, hey, assistant. I send a message. I got this person and this person. And the funny thing is, they end up like my assistant talks to their assistant, and finally, a week later, we get something on the calendar. But I that it takes some coordination to find you know time where, especially two, three, four, five, or more really busy people can be in the same physical location to sign documents,
1: right? And with a press round, you might have a lead that's putting in a million dollars. Like for a, a typical seed round, you might have a lead putting in a million and two funds that are putting in half a million, and then some smaller people that are putting in like 250 Ks or whatever, right? So and then they've all got counsel. So now you've got various lawyers that are getting paid hourly. Like the more hours they spend on this deal, the more money they take home at the end of the day. As the CEO who's quarterbacking this whole thing, you've got the investors who you've got to keep excited. And then you've got the counsel who you've really got to manage because the thing could go on indefinitely. The lawyers are making money if they have objections. If your lawyer and their lawyer get in a fight, like Though, Then the, those lawyers are both going to, they could make like 10, 20, 30 K on that fight. It's an insane situation. And you've really got to be dialed as the sponsor or the founder and get to the finish line and be on the phone and call an investor if their counsel is doing something that's slowing it down and say, Hey, you've got to tell your counsel to back off because we got to close this deal. And what your counsel is asking for is unproductive and unrealistic. And you've got to do this as an entrepreneur who only does this a few times in their career, talking to investors who do this multiple times a month for their entire career. So it's a very, To some
0: extent they're expecting that call though, right? If they're doing this regularly, they get that call regularly.
1: And they'll respect the founders that call them and say, Hey, your council needs to back down. We're not agreeing to this. This isn't what we agreed to. And you got to call your council in the next hour and tell them that this is not material to the deal or in alignment with what was previously agreed. And they need to send an email in the next hour because I'm closing this tomorrow. So that email needs to be in my inbox and everybody else's in inbox in the next hour. Can you do that? It takes practice and experience to learn. Yeah. You gotta be like a dog on a bone with getting a deal done. I'm sure in real estate and in acquiring businesses, I'm sure it's the same. It at is, the end. and
0: it's a little more dynamic because a lot of times there's other sources of funds, right? For us, like I interviewed a guy, a woman yesterday who does property splits. So if a company you're buying has a real estate and an asset you can do what's called a sell leaseback. So you can buy the entire company with the real estate attached. And then the same day you close the acquisition of the company, do a sell leaseback of the real estate, to fund part of the deal. We call it like a deal pie, or basically you're, you're if you say I got to raise $10 million to buy a company and it's real estate, the real estate might be worth two or 3 million of that. So I do it on a sell leaseback. They'll give me a little bit of a premium because I'm committing to a 10 or 15 year lease, right? 20 year lease, 30 year lease, depending on who you're sell leasebacking to. So now I've got, let's say it's a $10 million purchase. I've got $2.5 million in real estate. They're willing to give me $3 million on a 30-year note on it. So I get $3 million from them. Now I got to go raise seven. And then maybe they have tons of assets. I can do an asset loan against the manufacturing equipment and semis or whatever it takes to run it. And I've got a million from that. Now I got to go raise six. And you basically create this pie or this selection of funds. And then when you're left with, what do I need to raise? And the owner finance usually will carry back. of it in most cases, they'll carry back something. So now you're looking at, okay, I only got to raise three. And you go out to your investors and go, hey, I got to come up with this. So now you got this huge dynamic of different people who have lenders and asset-based loans and real estate investors you're dealing with. So it's dynamic.
1: Yeah. And do you like it? Is it fun for you, that that stage?
0: It is. And I moved to something much more simple. One of the things I did is I realized I move around a lot. And anytime you buy a brick and mortar company or something like that, with all those moving parts, you physically need to be able to go there at the drop of a hat and be there for 60, 90 or 180 days. I didn't want to take that on because I have a seven-year-old and a 12-year-old who are My 12-year-old has a hard time building relationships. We moved a lot around when he was in school at the early ages. And it broke my heart when we came here after about or four weeks I was like have you made any friends he's like yeah i'm not ready to yet i was like why because they're all temporary friends i was like uh-huh. what he goes yeah we're gonna move in a year or so and i'm not gonna i won't know them anymore and then it hit me like i'm gonna quit traveling around so much so that said i buy online assets things i can run from remotely and different things i still help out with the others and i have friends that are doing those and i, I we walk through and i get, get a piece of, of the deal I just, not the guy that has to, when the CEO quits that because he gets mad, I'm not the guy has to go there and run the company for 60, 90, 180 days until we find another operator. (laughs) What are those guys are, right? But I think it's, I think it's a better play for me at my age at 52. I don't have 10 more deals in me that I can go out, you know, ideas in me. I can go out and try back to back and see which one lands. I don't want to pull 60, 70, 80 hour weeks to get them done. You can buy a, a business that's up-running profitable and stuff. And it's already ironed out. It's already systemized. There's standard operating procedures and be the chairman of the board. And I don't believe that it's anything's passive. You're going to be actively involved. Real estate's not even passive. That's a big fallacy. It's the big, what do you call it, myth. Passive income is almost a myth in any in- industry. Even these guys, these lenders, these guys, these investors that loan you money, it's not totally passive income. They have to check on you every once in a while. There's a mental exercise that goes through of you know how my investments are doing, right? I totally agree. I think the passive income is
1: it is mostly a myth.
0: Like that that entrepreneur you, you as, the, as the entrepreneur you just raised ten million dollars. You have a problem, and you call one of those investors up, and he's is he, is he going to go? No, I don't want to help you with your problem. I, I'm passive here. I just want to collect checks. There's no like, I think absolutely it's a myth. I think we've covered like what are we missing here? Like we've covered this topic fairly well I think
1: yeah I think the maybe the one thing is that for anybody just getting started or wanting to up level their skills that fundraising is a skill just like marketing is a skill and engineering is a skill and finance and HR and everything and it turns out to be the one skill that you can't really delegate or outsource sometimes you'll get approached by people saying they can raise the money for you it's just kind of categorically no You gotta, If you're the person putting the deal together, you got to raise the money. Everyone's going to want to talk to you. So it's a skill. You can't outsource it. And so you might as well get good at it. And the way to get good at it is to get started and work with people who have done it and can teach you how to do it well. And then if you practice it a few times, once you've done it a few times, you'll have the skill for the rest of your career. And then you can go out and do bigger deals. And that's exciting to me. You can keep up leveling.
0: Would you be interested in helping somebody? It's like, hey, I've got a $10 million SaaS I'm trying to acquire. Would you help me raise funds to do an acquisition? Would that be something you'd be interested in?
1: Totally. Okay. Yeah, totally. 100%. I mean, it's something I've wanted to get into for a number of years because I, I have the same realization as you that when you're starting something, you don't have product market fit. You're just talking statistics. Your chances of success are single digit at best. <laughs> If you are working on something that has product market fit, that has revenue, that has customers, that has a history of a couple years worth of profits, your chances of like you said it earlier when we were talking, your chances of success are high. You've actually got to you got to screw it up. it up. Yeah, it's you yours. It it's up. not
0: yours to build. It's yours to mess up. Right? It's yours to screw
1: up. So the pitch is like, hey, I'm not going to screw this up. Versus, hey, I'm going to create this thing that's going to that's going to succeed where 95 out of 100 fails. So a very right. different pitch. So. I wanted to get into it, and it's something that I would love to talk to any any entrepreneurs about or people that have deals. We have a whole investor network, and so yeah, I would love to to talk to anybody about it.
0: And I know for a fact I've seen it when I went to the Angel Forums and I watched the pitches and stuff. I got invited to go watch some of them stuff, and they invest in everything. Like there were people there in the pitch of real estate transaction. There were people in there that were pitching acquisitions, like they already had a company and they wanted to acquire a competitor, and they heard it, and some of them got funded. So the same investors that are out there doing seed rounds and stuff like that, and the same investors you have, very likely would be interested in hearing some of these deals too. Because it's a little bit safer for them, especially in this uncertain, yeah, a lot safer. Yeah, sorry, a lot safer. I'm trying to be nice here. A lot safer (laughs) for them in this uncertain economy. Safer investments are a little more what people are looking for right now. So uh, you know. yeah, I mean,
1: it's totally different return and risk profiles. Yeah. so, if in a, if you're allocating your resources prudently, you Ooh. should really only be putting five percent or less of your investment into the high risk, high reward stuff. And what? you should be putting five percent of your investing into the high percent percentage that you're going to. So, any angel investor, you you really got to make like forty angel investments. For to be sure that you're going to get a good return on one or two of them that's going to make up for the 35 that don't return anything.
0: Yeah. And the difference is you invest in two or three guys acquiring companies. They're all going to probably make, you might get one that messes up. You're going to all probably going to make money. You're just not going to get the unicorn where you put a hundred dollars in and get a million dollars out. And there's some big wins to be had because if the guy's doing it right and he, sell, and he grows it and sells it to a, a higher tier strategic acquisition, like a, a competitor buys it. Or a private equity buys it the multiples go up. what people pay mom and pop guys for their business are two to three x in most industries, maybe four x and some. sas was crazy last year, but it's kind of calming down too right now and then you get to the private equity side, and it's almost twice that that's just common and you get into public companies buying you, and it's like they're they'll write checks bigger because. If you look at their price-to-earnings ratio, if they can add 10, 25, 30 million, you got to be bigger, you got to be a $25 million company or something, but if they can add $25 million to a $150 million company and they're trading at 30X, (laughs) writing you a check for 10X isn't going to blink an eye because they get 30X price-to-earnings the next day. So there's a game here that's an arbitrage game that's being played by these acquisition entrepreneurs that should be really intriguing to all the private equity investors.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating. And it's cool to, to be on this show and have this conversation with you to just knit the two worlds together a little bit yeah. and see how there's so many similarities.
0: It is, and I always look for, like who's doing something at a higher level that we need to drag down to us? The venture game, it's higher risk, it's higher reward. It's also a lot more money flying back and forth. How do we get some, reach out into that world a little bit and go, hey, we got a safer bet over here with us. I mean,
1: are there funds? That's an interesting question. Are there funds that do just this, that aren't private equity, but are like between that and the individual investors?
0: Absolutely. I've had a few of those guys on the show. There are individuals that will go out and raise private funds, like their own funds and do acquisitions. I had like one, one's in my space, right? They're a little bit bigger than I'm at right now. And they're going to probably stay bigger than me because they're going, they're growing pretty quick. It's called Treasure Hunters. They raise money. They raise rounds, four, four, five, $10 million rounds, acquire online content sites. Problem with that, the reason I'm not going down that money and doing a private placement rent and raising a big seed round to do what I'm doing is they have to have liquidity in three to five years. And some of these assets are just cash cows I want to hold on long term. Yeah. So I'm doing kind of a little bit different. I'm doing a, have you ever looked at the book, I think it was Myers is the wrote, it was called Slicing Pie. But basically the way we're doing the structure in it is they get paid back their money and then get, still get a piece of equity on the back end. So it's kind of a loan with equity. Then I don't have to sell it in three to five years because they're looking for liquidity.
1: Right. And that's the rub is that if you're amalgamating a bunch of people into a vehicle, those people are going to want liquidity at different times. And so then you got to manage that.
0: So I you- did find a, a company that we refer people to now that actually has their securities license to do secondaries which is rare to find. So a private a capital company that basically helps you raise, they do everything from crowdfunding to raising capital from a million to 50 to a hundred million or more, but they actually have the securities license to trade secondaries. So people that work with them, for those listeners who don't know what that means is when you do private equity with somebody, he's locked into you until you have an exit event, unless somebody has the ability and network to sell secondaries and a securities license to do something. So investors using that vehicle can actually go, hey, I need out and they can go to him and they can put that on a secondary market. They built a market for it. They have investors and somebody can buy that position in that startup or that that business that you bought. Not very common. Like there are very few people out there. There are very few companies that get all the securities license they need to sell secondaries, mainly because there's not a big market for it. So you have to build the market and get your license. So I do have one that's done that. So, all right. How do people get a hold of you? What's the best way that you want people to reach out for you?
1: Yeah, well, you can email me if you want. I'm william at fulcrumventureaccelerator.com, or you can go to com and send us a message or reach out. You can read about our programs there. If anybody is raising for some of these acquisition deals, I'm interested. So... I want to learn more about it. So yeah, reach out.
0: That'd be fun for somebody to do work with you because you got the experience, you know, everything and you're learning something along the place. So you're going to have a little more enthusiasm helping them naturally because it's something you're interested in. I think it'd be a win-win for somebody.
1: And I should say I work, I do work one on ones Mostly we do group programs with mm-hmm. groups of 20 entrepreneurs at a time, but I do work one-on-one with folks only four at a time. And I have one opening right now. So if anybody okay. wants to snag that, give me an email, shoot me an email.
0: Awesome. And last thing, if somebody can only remember two or three things from the show, what would you want them to walk away with?
1: Fundraising is a transfer of certainty and excitement. The way that you get certainty is by doing your research, talking to the right people and assembling that all together so that you get to certainty in yourself. The way that you get excitement is by being authentic Mm -hmm. about what's really meaningful to you. And then combine those two things and that's going to be your secret sauce and your superpower to get whatever deal you want to get done done.
0: Well, Will, thank you for being on the show today. I think I've had a blast, and I learned a lot today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ron. It was a great conversation, and I would love to come back sometime. Okay. We'll
0: call that a show. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions. Uh, suggest a guess or even tell me about a business you have for sale, and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between 5 million and 30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A to decision makers who are ready to buy.